Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you want to have fun and have scratchers to scratch, there's a playful way you can do just that. Scratch with the key or acrylic nail. Scratch with the quill from a porcupine tail. Use a belt buckle from your friend Lamar. Or scratch with your pick while you play guitar. You can scratch in a bunch of different playful ways. Scratchers from the California lottery. A little play can make your day. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player claim. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com. And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. Each episode, our special guest will bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our special guest is Greg Mucci. He is a columnist for Daily Grindhouse and Talk Film Society. And you can find you can also find his work at sites like Nightmarish Conjuring and Nightmare on Film Street. Welcome to the show, Greg. Yay, what's up? Yay! Yeah. Thanks for doing this. I'm so glad that you're able to uh, come on to talk this oh. uh, movie with us. No, no it's, a, it's an honor to be asked by you guys. Well, you know, it's one of those things where it's like we interact all the time. And um, I mean, I've we've kind of followed each other from when I first started Twitter. And it's always nice to be able to like put a voice to the to the name and, and get to know people more that we interact with on a yeah. regular and recurring basis. Yeah. I mean, you were probably one of the... F- first people who was genuinely i think nice to me on twitter and i'll say like people are actively <laughs> mean but you had that um I, I got demons and demons too from you uh yeah and i was just like i don't know, like the sweetest thing and then i think from there on just kind of shared a mutual passion for it and it's just been really cool to see your uh your site kind of flourish oh please thank you <laughs> no i mean it's i mean it's you know i mean i'm somebody who super struggles to you know focus and get stuff out there but man you just like bend over backwards to like write and write and it shows it's great 
<laughs> well, thank you. Terry's the best. No. Uh, <laughs> let's turn this attention on to you, Craig. <laughs> oh, no. How, no um, we're, we're interviewing you, Terry. <laughs> right. No, no, no. <laughs> Tables have turned. Podcast over. I'm done. <laughs> no, um, I am. Like, it's really warm over here now. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> So, Greg, how did you get into uh, into horror? Um, I mean, it started, I think, like for most people with my family. Um, I mean, my mm -hmm. dad wasn't like ride or die horror. Um, he was a a chef. And so he worked with like, I think, a lot of young cooks. Oh, cool. um, and so, you know, he would bring back like blank VHS tapes, which is always adds to the oh. adds to the creepiness of it all. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I remember those blank VHS tapes. Oh, yeah. I remember. I mean non-horror related he once brought home like an orange cassette of johnny mnemonic and oh. yeah i mean i enjoy that movie it's you know there's it's crap but it's enjoyable yeah um but yeah he brought home like the universal monster movies is probably where we kick-started it where he okay. brought home wolfman frankenstein uh creature from the black lagoon and it kind of just blossomed from there but my dad was definitely like a a child of like the nuclear age where like attack of the puppet people and forbidden planet this island earth were like his jam i guess and i really you know i definitely appreciate those era of sci-fi horror but it never really became my thing and then one day he brought home a nightmare on elm street probably around the same time uh seven or eight years old and it's scared the hell out of me and it was just like you know i had no idea what it was it was sort of this elusive tape and yeah, he kind of did that, and I'm pretty sure he got them from, you know, people he worked with. You know, these, like, young kids were probably a lot more diehard horror fans. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and then from there, I kind of, I mean, not too far off from that, you know, it was, became 1996, and Scream blew up, and it was literally all over TV. And I watched it when it came out on VHS, because I really wanted to go see it in theaters, and I remember my dad gave me the ultimatum, and I forget what movie i chose instead it may have been austin powers i don't not sure that came out in 96 but i chose something that wasn't scream and it was you know a regret because that movie <laughs> i would have loved to have seen the theater experience of that i mean i've seen it in retrospects and it's always been you know it plays like gangbusters especially i saw it i think two years ago on halloween weekend at a marathon and it was scream one and two and it was this oh wow yeah, I mean, watching Scream 2 in, in, a, in an actual theater with a bunch of diehard horror fans is like, I don't know, it's like, I don't want to be like, you know, blow it out of proportion, but it's it's transcendental. Yeah, I, I can imagine. It's, I love Scream 2. It's one of my, my favorite movies. Yeah. It's so good. I was actually just talking uh, to my girlfriend, Katie, about how I feel like when people talk about it, they don't actually pinpoint Jada Pickett Smith's like role i mean like her death is i think talked about often but i think she just really i don't know nails that character for the brief you know ten, yeah. 10 minutes that she's in it but i don't know it's easily one of my like probably top 10 opening of a horror film yeah it's a great one especially with uh the way she dies and all the the people are just like watching shoving like knives at her and like it's 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 oh. gruesome and mm -hmm. and funny at the same time yeah yeah, it's really tragic. Um, I was talking to somebody on Twitter. His name's Chris. I don't know his handle. Sorry, man. Um, and he was saying how it's, you know, super tragic if she died thinking her boyfriend killed her. And, oh, yeah. And it adds to it. I never read it that way. I kind of viewed it as like she sees the blood on his jacket and realizes that, you know, someone's impersonating him. 
it can be read either way and either way it's mm. still deeply tragic i mean and just the way she pelts out that scream on stage is like that's like a death rattle and it really right the yeah. one that finally gets everyone's attention that yeah. maybe something else is going on yeah and i think like that yeah. i don't know to me that instance of people sort of running around the theater and like throwing things it's like that's the thing we love about the communal experience is mm-hmm. that like we get wrapped up in it and i mean I don't know. We're, we're talking about like the theater experience in this age where it's, you know, could be make or break, I guess. Because, right. you know, I watched Invisible Man um, when it came out, I think, what, Friday? And I do love the idea of watching a movie on, you know, that's in theaters in my, you know, living room, the comforts of it. But mm-hmm. I am kind of worried that this whole thing will change how we, you know, view yeah. the new movies. movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, view, like the invis- watching the Invisible Man in theaters was one of like the best theater going experiences I've had in a really long time since I saw Hereditary. Like, I can imagine. Like it was just it was pa- the theater was packed, which was awesome, and everyone was like gasping and jumping, and it just really it made it all the more intense because everyone was like all in for the movie. And I, I love that movie. And I think it still works like to see, watch it at home. But I, like you said, I think this is going to change the, like the movie going experience and like really have people reconsider like movie theaters. And mm-hmm. I think there is a place for movie theaters though. I think, I hope this doesn't affect them like horrifically because I do still think like going to the, like nothing can beat the experience of going to a movie theater. I think. Yeah, I, I miss it a lot. Like, it's weird. The other day, I was like, yeah. I miss going to the movies. Like, I oh, miss yeah, that. Yeah. I miss, like, going to the movie theater and getting my ticket and, like, getting popcorn and sitting down and having a, having a way to watch a film without distraction. Oh, for it's really sure, hard yeah. to watch a, It's really hard to watch a movie at home just without looking at your phone. And, like, I'm guilty of this. Um, but, like, it's so nice to have the theater, like, a distractionless way to watch and... I hope that doesn't go away. <laughs> yeah. It's a very fatalistic way of thinking, but. No, it's... I mean, part of it's re- like the realist, I think, is that I think, mm-hmm. I think, in my opinion, I think it will like, it will hit theaters and then maybe two or three weeks later it will hit VOD or like you'll be able to pay $20 because, I mean, it, if I went to the theater now, I'd probably spend about $26 if I was paying for yeah. my partner's ticket. And here we spent $20 and sure, it saved us money, but. That moment in Invisible Man, like the the restaurant scene, like it was such mm. a oh I know it was such an oh shit. And I'm not gonna spoil it for anybody, but it was like such an oh shit moment for both of Gasps. us. Yeah, yeah, where I was like, oh man, like what would that be like in a theater? You know, like just yeah. just just being on the same wavelength with people. Because I mean, so often we're like, oh man, like that person's on their phone or that couple's talking. And it's like, yeah, it could divide you, but when that has that moment, it's like sparks fly. It's like you can't yeah. you can't recreate that anywhere else there's there's nothing like seeing um a good horror movie with a crowd that of good people there there just isn't the electricity that flows through the theater is irreplaceable in my opinion Mm -hmm. i agree yeah i think i've definitely felt that i mean i'm not sure you know what was the last movie that you felt that besides invisible man for me i think it was hereditary yeah Yeah. Yeah, I i was gonna say that too yeah hereditary was like an absolutely nuts experience like could hear a pin drop until like certain moments like the 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 uh the pole scene mm. Mm, everyone mm-hmm. like the gasps that everyone let out because i don't think anyone i mean like it was like that was a huge moment in horror i feel like in like recent right. like that was a huge fucking scene and so 
watching it in that theater. And then the scene where he sits up in his bed and you can see her in the corner oh, as yeah. like, your eyes adjust to the dark. Oh, yeah. Everyone. Was that like, was a, such an awesome scene. Fuck? <laughs> because you would hear gasps around the theater at different times as people started to like realize. Because like people yes. that saw it right away, they'd start gasping and you're like, Why why are they gasping? And then all yep. of a sudden around the whole theater you'd start to hear it. People like shuffling sh- sh- uh, shuffling uncomfortably and going, Oh god, oh god, oh god. It was great. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's like everyone started to sort of, you know, take the step to acknowledging her in that corner and you're just like mm-hmm. yeah yeah like that's the moment i live for that's that's one of the best moments in in horror another one that really uh had a great movie going experience for me was um quiet place like you oh. could hear a pin drop in that theater and everyone was just on board with the the, the tension the entire the entire way through and that was a it's a good experience yeah. I love it when the whole theater is on board with the tension. Like mm-hmm. it's like an uh, unspoken bond between everyone in the theater that it's like we're all gonna shut the fuck up and we're all gonna like enjoy this crazy ass two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that movie I was super hesitant to go see in theaters with a packed crowd. Um, so I, yeah, so I waited till it hit like a sort of a sort of dollar theater um, that we have in Providence. I mean, it's mm. it's closed down now because. Uh, a couple of months ago, they couldn't pay rent, and mm. yeah, it sucks. Like all of a sudden, That's lame. yeah, all of a sudden they just stopped showing listings, and their site said, you know, because there was the only place you could go to to see three dollar movies. Ugh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, so I I waited to see it in theaters there, and it was relatively dead. Um, but yeah, uh, a quiet place would have probably been one that I could have experienced, but uh, my my fears of you know, I don't know that communal experience being broken up sort of pushed me. Yeah. You know, it left me waiting, I guess. And I, I mean, I own it now, and I, I I would love to revisit that. That and Hereditary, actually, are two that I would love to. How did you get into into writing about horror? Um, well, I got laid off from a job, uh, God, maybe like five years ago. And I got unemployment. I pretty much was living in Boston. And I just, I always wanted to write. I mean, I kind of held on to this, like, this one praise my teacher gave me when I was in creative writing class in high school. She like loved the story I wrote and I don't necessarily think it was great or anything, but just like her words of encouragement, I guess sort of always mm-hmm. stuck with me. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just came to the idea that like, you know, whenever it comes to friends, uh, coworkers, just strangers, like the one thing that I always, you know, I find myself talking about and sort of living is just like movies. And I was like, if I, you know, watch movies constantly. I all I want to do is talk about movies. Like I kind of want to ingratiate it into my life a bit more, rather than being sort of something I do every other day. And I just started writing. I don't know. I it's sort of an odd thing to talk about for me because I always have this I don't know, issue, I guess, with my writing where I'm like constantly trying to find a voice. Um, mm. Where because I, I when I first started, I felt like I needed to emulate the greats or people I admired. Oh, okay. You know, it's like I wanted to sound bigger than I, you know, actually was. And I don't know, it, to me, the, my favorite writing out there, or the best writing in my opinion, isn't, it's like, it's not verbose. It doesn't have, you know, grand language. It's just to me, it's, it's how it connects with them and their sort of sense of, I don't know, being relaxed and loose. I like, I love when people like, you know, it just feels yeah, no, no. I mean, I'm not really, I never finished college. I don't really ever consider myself to be like, you know, an intellect or anything like that. So I love when language is sort of brought down on a level where all I could feel is your passion. 
and I feel like mm-hmm. this connectivity, yeah. like this sort of uh, like tissue. And I feel like I, you know, I tried to emulate. God, I tried to emulate when I first started, like people like A.O. Scott and Ebert oh. and like, it's just like, and Peter Travers, it's like the people I, because I wasn't really part of like Twitter or like, yeah. you know, uh, like independent sites. Like I didn't, didn't read Vulture. I didn't read, like this was before Birth Movies Death. I mean, I think they maybe just began Badass Digest and whatnot. And I didn't really, really read IndieWire. Like I, I just was so very detached. And so my idea was like these critics from newspapers um, and yeah, there's to me the best writers are, you know, people like you guys and people, hmm. you know, who, you know, really put in this. I don't know. I, it's hard to describe it, but I'm, I, I even think just now I'm still sort of trying to find my voice and I'm a lot closer than I was five years ago for sure. But it's something that, yeah, I struggle with a lot and it sort of it pushes me away from being able to write a lot because I'm always like, oh, this isn't good enough. And, and, I don't know. I'm trying to write so more inner saboteur. It's something that um, I struggle with an awful lot where it's like you go through this time where you think, okay, everyone's being nice. Are they being nice on purpose mm-hmm. or are they just, you know, yeah. trying to be nice, you know? So like, I get that, but um, Greg, your writing is great. I love, it, I love it whenever you get a new article out. Like you just posted one just a bit ago about um, eating alive, and that's another thing that I like about you is that you you go and you and you talk about these older movies that I've never seen eating alive. I I own it because I think I don't know if who put it out. Was it Severin or something? Uh, yes, yeah, someone put it out. It's been sitting on my stack, and I just haven't I haven't had a chance to to look at it. And I think what I love about your articles is that you you go and you dig up these these movies again that. People might not be on the, the collective like consciousness of people. So um, I think that's great. No, well, thanks guys. I mean, you know, I, I, I try and like, get into a habit, you know, like I, I am a creature of habit and like, I, I'm trying to write every day. I try to write every other day. And you know, it's one of those things you just have to sort of work on. And even if you hate your yeah. writing, you have to sort of push through that wall. Yes, that is hard. Especially right now, I feel like I'm hitting a little bit of a wall um, with oh, inspiration totally. and with like my desire to write, which sucks because I feel like writing for me is just comfort and it's mm-hmm. really been hard, especially with like everything that's been going on in the world. I feel like no motivation right now and it's been really hard to kind of push through that wall, but yeah, I have to. I mean, I don't have to, but I want to because it's what makes me feel the most normal. Oh, I yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, becoming sedentary is sort of a fear of mine. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just like I mean, like a month, a little over a month ago, I started teaching myself Italian because we were supposed to go. To, we, were, yeah, we were supposed to go to Italy at the end of April. Oh, oh God. Yeah, so we had our, our plane tickets, and I was like, you know, something like in order for us to feel like to get around better, I'm just going to start doing. Like I signed up for Duolingo and I just, I bought, oh, a, cool. I bought a book and I started doing it. And I, it's like, I kind of surprised myself. Cause it's like the one thing I've been doing every day. And like, I've been like, I don't know, looking forward to doing it. And I, I, I'm, I'm that way with writing now. Although the fear of failure, I guess, always is like this dark cloud and, you know, but for, you know, just like with Italian, it just takes time. It takes effort, you know? And yeah, I know. I mean, like for eating alive, it's, you know, I've, that was my first time watching that movie. I mean, I bought the Severn release when it came out because I love Lindsay. Like, I love Nightmare City. It was, like, one of the craziest zombie films out there. And 
And it was my first time watching it. And then I was like, oh, crap. How do I write about a genre I don't know much about? Because, like, I've seen Cannibal Holocaust and I've seen Green Inferno. And, like, that's really about it. And so it's like I'm not, like, you know, a professor of this genre. So it's like how do I talk about it? But it's just like you got to start somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I feel I feel that sometimes, too, where it's like I – I'm like, I don't know a lot about the genre, but it's like, but like, where do you start? Like, mm-hmm. why not write about what you love? And then from there you can expand. Cause I feel like, you know, you got to start, like you said, you got to start somewhere. So oh, yeah. why not write what you know? And then just like open yourself up to something else. Yeah. Well, yeah. I also, I also think that I, I kind of, I like that, that you, what you just said, um, Greg, because um, I, it, it makes it easier for someone that's not versed in the, the genre to follow along with you. Like I'm, I don't know too much about uh, like the kind of cannibal films. I've, I've seen uh cannibal Holocaust and that's about it. I haven't seen green. I haven't even seen uh, the green Inferno. So like reading that article was like, you know, it's sort of like is kind of a gateway to help me get into the genre as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe yeah. it's like, I was like, maybe I should watch this one finally. Like that's, I think that's, that's, that's great. And I think that's something that, um, actually helps get people more interested in, in spreading their, their horizons a bit. Yeah. I mean, if, if I write something and it, you know, you finish it or even if you don't like halfway through it, you're like, but it still makes you want to watch that movie. Then I, I find that to be successful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I always love when someone tells me they watch something because it's something I wrote. I was like, that's what I want. I want you to find something that you like from something I wrote. It always wrote. Su- surprises me when someone says that. I'm like, Really? <laughs> yeah, someone from you, high school told me that the other day, and I was like, "Oh, I have not talked to you in ten years. Hello, thank you. That's very strange, but also that's a very nice compliment that you're reading my work. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> Movies they're bringing weird people feeling. together. <laughs> yeah, from from our living room now. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, do we want to talk about what we've been watching since you know sure, talk yeah. about movies from our living room? Terry, what have you been watching? Um. Well, you know, I. Uh, I've been playing too much Animal Crossing. Um, yep, valid. Oh, both it's of you. I haven't. Of, I haven't been, but I've been watching people play a lot of Animal Crossing. Okay, it's kind of enveloped my life. But I did watch a movie that um, I guess I'm not. By the time this airs, I don't even think I'm supposed to have my review out yet. But I'm gonna talk about it anyway because I watched it today and I really enjoyed it. Um, the Vast of Night. Oh yes. I have you not have heard of you seen it? You've seen it, right, Mary Beth? I've seen it, yeah. You haven't, Greg? No, I've never even heard of it. It's like it's set in the 1950s in this small town in New Mexico, where you're following two high school um, students. Well, I, I think the radio there's a radio DJ, and I think he's technically a high school student. I'm not really sure his age. And there's a girl that operates a, like a, a phone switchboard at night, and they have this kind of like little friendship going and there's a lot of talking and then she kind of intercepts this really weird audio frequency on, on her, uh, her phone lines as she's like trying to connect people. And she, she's like, I don't know what this is. And she tries to figure out what it is. Tries to get other, um, of the like radio or the, uh, the phone booth operators to figure out what it is. No one really knows. So she sends it to, she patches it into the radio DJ and they, played out there and then it sort of goes from there is this like investigation of of what this signal is and what it kind of means for their town and it's it's a slow movie it's very 
it's very gentle. <laughs> I guess yeah. it's, it's, it's not, it's not particularly scary. Um, but, and there's not a lot that happens in it, but there's a lot of really good. I think the dialogue is really good. I think the, the, the two leads are fantastic and it's God, it's, sh- it's shot to like beautiful hell. Like it's, it's, it's a first, I think it's a, a feature film for this, this, this guy, the debut film. And yeah. like, uh, he's, he's going to have a career trajectory because like the, this, this movie is very assured and the cinematography is stunning. There's like this really awesome long take down a street that goes winding between barns and through a, um, a basketball game and just continue. Like it's this really long singular take. That's just hmm, pretty stunning to watch, especially with this low budget film. Um, what did you think of it, Mary Beth? I loved it. Um, I saw yeah. it when I was at TIFF last year and I need to see it again because I need to refresh my memory because it was a midnight showing. So like I was definitely a little sleepy. Ooh, this would have, <laughs> I'm sorry, this would have put me asleep. I um, think. At yeah, a midnight showing. I would it's... like, but I want to rewatch it just because it's been a while, but I loved it. I thought it was really, it's like, the, it, it feels reminiscent of the Twilight Zone. Right. It's like a Twilight Zone episode, but shot with, with, much much more style, which is weird to say about the Twilight Zone because obviously the Twilight Zone is very stylish, mm-hmm. but it is like an, an old school episode of, of the Twilight Zone, and yeah. I really really enjoyed it. And the director, I, I heard him talk for a little bit after the movie, and he's really cool. He has a huge beard, <laughs> <laughs> like seems very self assured for a first director. It's really yeah. always interesting to see like people who are first time directors talking about their films. Yeah. And I, you know, as I was watching this, some of the notes that I took was it reminded me of, um, some of it kind of felt kind of, um, Sorkin esque with the, with the like walk and talk. Like there's a mm. lot of walking and talking yeah. type going, stuff going on. And some of it felt like, um, classic Spielberg in a way. Yeah. Very, like there's definitely some nostalgia going on, but there's some interesting little subtleties to it that I think make it a little bit more interesting than just like a, a period piece set in the fifties trying to yeah. say that the fifties were, were great. Like there's definitely some undercurrents going on there. Um, I wish they had kind of explored those a little bit more, but I think, I think it's a great debut feature and I would be surprised if this guy doesn't go on to do huge things to be perfectly honest. It kind of feels like the start of like, you know, like a Christopher Nolan or like a, a, oh, a Ryan yeah. Johnson, you know, like where mm-hmm. they make these like, small films and then end up blowing up. So I'm hopeful. I think. Yeah. I mean, you had me at gentle. Yeah. It's very, it's very gentle. It's a very (laughs) gentle film. Um, and I, I, I don't think I, I loved it. I, I, I was, it was funny because when you were talking about the theater going experience and, and not having your phone, I kind of wish that I didn't have anything to distract me because, um, it's, it's, it's very quiet film. (laughs) It but is it's, very it's good. It's good. Yeah. It's it's, it's surprisingly uh, assured for a debut. But um, does does it lean into the fifties or is this sort of a like a background time period? Um, no, it definitely feels like the the thing that I that I that it really gave me a thought of was how in the fifties everyone looked into the future as like this positive thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like yeah. there's a lot of like future nostalgia 
in this in this movie where it's like this this girl she's talking about how you know there's these people that are making cars that can run by themselves and that she's talking about the future where like you know we potentially will have like she she doesn't know what to call it but it's basically G- gps she's talking about all these things that are coming in the future and it was like a time where it was like people kind of looked forward to what was coming as opposed to now where it's like oh, oh god what hell is going to be around the corner next right yeah like can we can we like have flying cars before we die right (laughs) so like it it definitely leans into that kind of like feeling of 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 small town nostalgia at that time but there's also some kind of spoilery i don't want to really get into it but some like undercurrents of that this might be wonderful for some people but not necessarily for others Mm -hmm. it's it's really good i think i think for people that enjoy slow burn um movies that aren't looking to be scared i think you'll have a great time with this one. Yeah, what was it called again? Uh The Vast of Night and it's coming out in May. Vast of Night. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to add that to the watch list. Um what about you, Mary Beth? So, I recently rewatched The Other Lamb, mm. which is a amazing film. Um it is, let me check if this is the correct information, but it's from a Polish female director. Her name is Magorzadas um Zumowska. I'm so sorry. She's Polish. Um and so she's like a pretty prolific Polish director and I believe this is her first English language film and it's about a all female cult led by a man um played by Michael Husman who played um he was in The Invitation. He was like the creepy cult guy in The Invitation. Okay. And it's this amazing like coming of age story creepy cult movie and it's just like very beautiful and it's very intense and like very uh, arresting is a way i would put it like it sucks you in and it's absolutely beautiful and it's coming to via it's coming to april 3rd to april 3rd so after this pop this podcast publishes but still it'll be out it's absolutely it's absolutely gorgeous and i think like a lot of cult movies can be like very exploitative very like look at how creepy this cult is but this one is much more focused on like the women and the impact that this guy has and a lot about looking at like the introspection of realizing that cult leaders are just insecure people that crave love and so it's very thoughtful and the cinematography is gorgeous and um yeah I'm just, I'm enthralled with this movie ever since I saw it in September at TIFF and it's coming out now and I'm so excited. I'm excited for more people to be able to experience it because it's, it's something special. So, uh, you know, yeah. do you know where it's coming out? Uh, like Prime, VOD? Um, I think Terry, I want to say it's coming out. I think it's coming out VOD to, uh, like, uh, rent or to, to yeah, buy it's VOD. on, right, on the cool. third, I believe. Yes. I, checked my, um, I just checked my email about it because, Another movie that was good to watch in the theater where you don't have distractions. Um, it's slow burn, but it's really, I, I agree. I think it's a beautifully made, a beautifully made film. And, you know, I love slow, I love me like an emotional slow burn where I get to like mm-hmm. get in the heads of the characters and really like look at their psychology, excuse me, their psychology. So hmm. yeah. Cool. What about you, Greg? What have you been watching? Uh, well, the most recent one I just watched was uh, The Platform. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Galder Gastulu, man, I'm butchering this, uh, Yurutia? Yurutia. 
I probably got yeah, that wrong. I don't know but, how to pronounce his name. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's a debut film, which is sort of crazy. Um, I mean, it, it was good, wasn't it? Did you like it? Uh, I did like it. Um, I don't think I loved it the way other people did. Um, mm-hmm. I sort of had the same the same feeling I had. I mean, less disgusted. But when I watched The Golden Glove uh, a few months ago. Oh, I have to see that still. <laughs> yeah, I put it on. And I mean, I love like one of my favorite horror films is Angst. But that is like, man, that movie's like 82 minutes, maybe. It's like really kind of short. And, it's not, I would, Sweet is, you know, maybe the wrong term, but <laughs> it's it's quick to the point. And The Golden Glove is like nearly two hours. And right. it's just, I mean, I think it's beautifully directed, very well shot. Like the performances, like the, the entire aesthetic of 70s uh, Germany was like beautiful, but gah, it was a, just, just vile. Just absolutely like... And I think mean, I do love depravity, but like there was some, there was something very reprehensible about like just sort of existing with this character and not even like him committing these heinous acts. It was just like him, God, eating like bar peanuts and, and beer at this like kind of sad pub with like these other people. And like it was just a very deeply felt sad and gross film. The platform is has similar similar vibes in some ways, but like I enjoyed it more. Like I enjoyed being with the main character. Um, his name is Gorang. Uh, so pretty much for anybody who hasn't seen this, I'm not going to try to give too much away. Um, but this like huge, massive structure is built. Um, it's like a prison system and it's, I guess like the administration or the government calls it like vertical self-management center. And it's like an un sort of like an indescribable amount of layers and there's just like a shaft down the middle where a platform falls and it starts with like Michelin sort of five-star food and it goes down and there's two prisoners per level and you just start eating. And so it's like, by the time it gets to like level 45, it's like, you know, there's like a cake left and some lobster or like escargot and like, you know, but everything's just like, you know, the, the hierarchy, like the class system, they just start like slobbering over all of this. So by the time it gets down to level like 137, there's like scraps and you never know how many levels there are. And that's sort of like, you know, the mystery of it, I guess, which is, you know, what kept me sort of intrigued about the premise, like where it was going to go. And I mean, it's just really, it's just beautifully shot. I think there's like a way of sort of like i think a lot of people could lose themselves in films that are set in one location almost or like one set piece Mm. and this it does a lot with it um it's partially it acts as food porn like there's one scene where (laughs) uh you know some of the inmates is like a almost like a montage of them stepping all over these like you know beautifully made cakes and like uh just like I don't know, bolognese and like, you're just like, no, like, what are you doing? <laughs> right. And it's, um, I, I enjoyed it. I definitely, I gave it like three and a heart, I think on letterbox. Um, it's one that I don't know if I'll ever go back to because I feel like it wasn't as satisfying. Like it's very blunt. Like it's messages. It's, Oh yeah. You know, it like hits you over the head and I, I don't have an issue with that, but I sort of, you know, I guess there's a reason when I watch movies like, escape from Alcatraz or like the great escape. It's like, I like the adventure or the sense of fun, I guess for me is in watching them like plan an escape. And there's part of that. Um, you know, I'm not going to give too much away, but yeah, a lot of it's just like, you, you know, really 
vile sort of view of human beings and you know it's 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 out there but i don't know it i didn't it wasn't as like i liked it i didn't enjoy it as much as i wanted to i guess okay yeah i still need to watch it um my partner isn't it doesn't really want to watch it right now as but like the way things are which is very understandable so i need to find some time to just like watch it on my own which is fine he was just like i just don't think i would like to be in that headspace and i was like that's valid (laughs) oh it totally is i mean like watching it now i was like okay you know we just had like a two trillion dollar stimulus package where they're handing out you know money here and there and i was like it just feels very much like the platform where like you know yeah the the lower class or the lower income are gonna get scraps you know and it's it's you know very prescient but yeah, I, I, I maybe wait till it blows over. I don't know. I don't know. I like to punish myself with horror films, so I might watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of reminds me a little bit of like The Parasite. I don't think it's as as elegant or as oh, no. subtle as The Parasite, but it's kind of tackling similar issues. But you're right on the money with it being blunt. It's it's about as blunt as a chainsaw. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I guess a chainsaw isn't blunt, but like <laughs> uh, it could be like you know if you don't sharpen it. The worst chainsaws are there you the go. blunt ones. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, well, you could watch this and uh, The Golden Glove as a double feature and just, you know. Ooh, feel really great about yeah. yourself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we have talked about what we've been watching now, but let's talk about what the movie you brought with you today. Greg, what are we discussing? We are discussing Kubrick's The Shining. <laughs> masterpiece of modern horror directed by stanley kubrick starring jack nicholson and shelley duval rated r opens friday june 13 check newspapers for local listings i'm so excited um so (laughs) for like the one person who has no idea what the shining is um jack torrance played by jack nicholson is an aspiring writer and recovering alcoholic who accepts a position as the off-season caretaker of the isolated historic over overlook hotel in the colorado rockies wintering with jack are his wife wendy played by shelley duvall and young son danny danny played by danny lloyd Danny possesses The Shining, a psychic ability that enables him to see into the hotel's horrific past, including a previous winter caretaker who slaughtered his family before killing himself. After a winter storm leaves the Torrance is snowbound, Jack's sanity deteriorates due to the influence of supernatural forces inhabiting the hotel who want the family to stay there forever and ever and ever and ever. Okay, Greg, how old were you when you first saw this movie? Oh, man, this was one of the tapes my dad brought, and <laughs> I, I was seven, and I had oh god, oh, wow, I had my uh, best friend at the time, Avery. Uh, man, if, if you're listening to this, Avery Sears, like I remember how this affected you too. So I felt it. Shout too. out to Avery. Yeah, <laughs> Where, wherever you are, Avery. Um, yeah, so we brought it home, and we were having a sleepover. It was just Avery and I, and. Yeah, it, my dad had the brilliant idea of having this be our sort of midnight movie, if you would. And <laughs> okay, uh, had he seen it before? Had my dad? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, so he knew it. He knew what he was showing you. Oh, he was. Yeah, he. <laughs> 
Uh, he was punishing us. I don't know. For what? I still have to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, hey, I remember we were downstairs. We put it on. And my dad had, like, just gotten sort of, like, I, I guess back in, man, what? 94? 93? Like, whatever you, would be a, a big screen TV. It was, like, really fat. But he got it. And he, was, oh, yeah. he was super proud of it. He set up this, like, sound system. And we put it in. And I remember... Being really, the first thing was being sort of entranced by the Wendy Carlos score. That's, oh yeah, you know, it just sort of sucks you in. It's like a like a horror, like a horrific Death Star, and I was just sort of glued to it. And I didn't. The funny thing when I think back to it is that I wasn't, I didn't feel scared watching it then. I felt like okay. I felt like entranced, like the way the the steady cam moves around the halls and the way we're sort of like invited into parts of the hotel. But I think I was just like it. It, it felt very epic and it felt like the first true horror experience and i guess i say horror experience not in the sense that like it was the first thing that scared me but i was just like really immersed in it and i loved it and i and i remember specifically the only time we sort of broke away from it was when we do go into room 237 and it was like it it wasn't our it wasn't my first time seeing uh a nude body on screen, but mm. you know, for two seven-year-old boys, you know, giggles will ensue. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, uh, as you do. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, even when they showed Scatman Crothers uh, laying in bed, and he has the two framed posters of the nude women. Oh yeah, I love that. Scene. Uh, it's it's great. Yeah, I mean, it, we couldn't stop giggling, and I mean, I think my dad was just like, you know, peeved because he was like, I think he really wanted us to be terrified mm-hmm. and i don't know i i don't i don't remember thinking much of the horror during it and even afterwards but it's something that slowly seeped into like my pores and i i think so for avery as well because that night after watching it he wakes up like screaming from what i remember and oh boy. of like a terrible nightmare and i was just like i was terrified because he terrified me and we, we and we had to call his mother and we ended up driving him home and i was like wow dad you fucked up my sleepover <laughs> and then and so i went back to sleep and i had the most like vivid dream or nightmare of entering 237 and you know the woman sort of just uh, pulling essentially what she does on jack i mean i never made out with her which Maybe I'd be more grown up now if I did, but I remember, like, it just, it left such an imprint that from when I was seven to probably in eighth grade where I was uh, 13, 14, I checked behind the shower every time I went into the bathroom. I was just, like, so terrified that someone or something was back there, and the way, and the way, like, my, like, uh, parents' bathroom is, it's like, you go in and the toilet's all the way at the back, so if someone is in the shower, it's like, boom, you're cornered. You're not going anywhere. Um, but it's, yeah, it was like the the thing that traumatized me the most. And I, I mean, I, I, 
applaud it and commend it because it's what got me further into horror. Hell yeah. That's awesome. Um, I, that, that, that scene in 237, the, the reveal is such a well-crafted scene, to be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Like, I love how you see, like, the, the kind of curtain and you don't quite see something behind it. And then the hand kind of comes out and pulls it back. I just, I, I love, I love that moment. And I can see how that would leave, like, a, a scar <laughs> kind of on your psyche for that night. Oh, it was a deep wound, um, yeah. After seeing it. Um, I mean, what I- well, yeah, and that scene, especially, like, with the when the older woman, you see her, like, covered in mold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like that was my first experience with, like, body horror adjacent. Like, I know it, this mm. isn't a body horror film, but, like, that moment is really awful. It's just, yeah. like, looking at her body and at the way the body has decayed. And I think that freaked me the fuck out because I was like, oh, my God, your body can get moldy, which sounds, like, very <laughs> weird and, like, very specific. But, like, it was really weird and traumatizing for me to, like, realize, like, the kinds of things that can happen to skin. Oh, yeah. Like, it freaked me the fuck out. Let's just put it that way. I mean, yeah, she was moldy. She was, like, waterlogged. Uh, yeah. Was, like, it was just, like, such the complete opposite of, like, the vestige we had before. It was, like, this beautiful, yeah. this beautiful woman. And I think the thing that really I love about this scene, and I, I kind of always appreciate every time I watch it. And, I mean, I've seen The Shining, uh, God, I don't know, like, a few dozen times. And it's, like, my, mm-hmm. it's my all-time favorite horror film pretty much because of that instance when I was seven. And... But it's like when yeah. it's like when you're going into two thirty seven. It's like you you're through his POV and you're slowly kind of taking yeah. in the room. And the room itself is like so it's it's beautiful, but it's shocking because it's it's very seventies. And when you're yeah. you know a seven like you know seven years old in the early nineties, you're like, whoa, this is freaky. Yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot going on in the in the set design and the, the staging mm-hmm. of of everything from the, the carpets to the red walls to like everything about it just is, is very stylish. And it's, it, I can imagine it being kind of overwhelming to a, a young kid's brain watching. Cause there's just so much color coming in different, sometimes contrasting and like colors in color uh, choices that clash with each other. Mm-hmm. So like, there's just, there's just, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Terry, <laughs> how, when did you first see this movie? I don't remember. Okay. Um, I I don't really, <laughs> I don't really have a memory. Here, here of, we go. I, I mean, I, I know that I'd seen it, <laughs> but <laughs> um, <laughs> well, you know, we, we kind of talked about when we when we were talking with April about Cujo, how I typically would read um, Stephen King books before I saw the movie, and that was the one case where I didn't. Well, I think that. My love of Stephen King has colored my view of this movie from the very beginning. Um, every time I watch this movie, and I've I've seen it a lot, I, it's probably one of the the more watched horror movies I've I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, how many times do you think you've seen my, it? Huh? Do you know how many times you may have seen it? Uh probably. I I would say probably about ten or so. Like I've seen it a lot throughout history like history <laughs> throughout my throughout, throughout history, history of <laughs> no, um <laughs> and my opinion of it kind of changes with each viewing um sometimes i really like it sometimes i really hate it and oh wow yeah hey. ah, <laughs> the h word it's a strong word yeah, I, I need a, I need a I, shower yeah like 
I, I like well, like I said, that, you know, there there are things about it that I absolutely love. Like I just talked about some of the scenes, and there's I, I think the score is phenomenal. I think the cinematography is stunning. I think I think the set design is great. So I, what do you hate about it? Yeah, it leaves me cold. Um, ha 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 ha! Like Jack. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, the I point. Don't, yeah, I don't care about Terry the Torrance al- alone in the maze, frozen. You don't care yes. about the characters? No, I don't care about the characters <gasps> at all. I think what? I think they are so poorly written. I think oh. the only good thing about <gasps> them comes from the acting of Shelley Duvall. To be perfectly frank, oh my god, I don't Terry, like Jack Nicholson in this role. To the quick. Yeah, I'm, I'm hurt. I'm offended, actually. I know. I'm so sorry. But like, My I don't think Jack. I think Jack Nicholson was miscast. I think what? Shelley Duvall gets a lot of hate for her role, I agree. and I think she's one That's of the best true. parts. She is amazing in this movie, and she deserves she no, does she deserves nothing of what people have said about her. Everyone I is think, terrible. Yeah, I think that she does the most with the role that is so poorly written for her. Um, I mean, Shelley Duvall, I mean, she, like, I've, over the years, I've come to absolutely love her. I mean, Popeye is something I've watched. <laughs> Popeye I watched maybe uh, three months ago for the first time, and I felt, I mean, she's amazing in it, and I actually love that movie, and I'm really flabbergasted that it's got such a low opinion by people, and, like, it's, I don't, it's Altman. I mean, like, you really can't go wrong. It doesn't matter, like, I mean, he built an entire seaside, but I, I guess... That's not not really the point, but she owns Olive, and I think even in yeah. even in Nashville, she owns her character. Like she was so maligned by everybody for being this like hysterical woman, but like you know she's so much more than that. But like even in The Shining, she owns that. Like you feel every ounce of fear that she is sort of having, and like protective fear for Danny especially. And you know I, that's why I can't see this movie in a theater because people just laugh at her at jack nicholson and i i it's, it feels cruel i guess to, yeah i agree with that yeah um i i actually saw it in theaters uh was it last year when they were bringing around the 4k restoration yeah, yeah, yeah. Of it? i think it was last year i saw it in the theater and it annoyed me when people were laughing at at her because i i think that the movie I mean, it's a trouble. Okay, it's a trouble, so, like, you know, shoot with her. So, yeah. Well, and I also think that I think Kubrick's an asshole. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, he sucks. Um, and I think he has, I, I will, I know, um, I did some research and I know for a fact that he has, he really doesn't like King. And I mean, King doesn't really like him. So, you know, <laughs> fair game. Mm-hmm. But like, I, I found this interview with him because he, he was very reclusive with interviews. But there was one interview where someone asked him if he had, if he knew King's previous novels, and he had said no. I'd seen Carrie the film, but I hadn't read any of his novels. And he says that um, his a great King's great abilities in plot construction. But then he says he doesn't seem to take care, great care in writing. I mean, the writing seems as if he writes it once, reads it, maybe writes it again, and sends it off to the publisher. <laughs> Damn. I'm- so he's he there's this about his work there's and then I, in the same interview they're talking about um if if he chose Shelley Duvall after seeing her in Three Women and she said he says that he admires her work but then he says I think she brought an instantly believable characterization to her part the novel pictures her as a more self reliant and attractive woman but these qualities make you wonder why she put up with Jack for so long 
Shelly seemed to be exactly the kind of woman that would marry Jack and be stuck with him. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if that's necessarily that unfair. Yeah, I mean, I think that's playing up her her weakness, which I think her greatest strength is that. Uh, I mean, she's resilient as hell. She fucking mm-hmm. fights off. She fights him off. You know. Uh, Put the bat down, Wendy. Stop it, Wendy. Give me the bat. Please, get away. Give me the bat. Stop it. Give me the bat. Stop swinging the bat. Please stop. Give me the bat, Wendy. I mean, she fucking drags him into uh, a walk-in fridge, and I mean, she she is, I mean, it's not within the slasher realm, but to me, she is like one of the greatest final girls if you're to like give her that title. Yeah, that's a good, ooh, I like that. That's great. I love that. I mean. Well, and like. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's okay. Um, I mean, it's, I, I don't know. I, it's, if, I feel like if you make fun of her, you're, you know, one step closer to being this like kind of misogynistic pig because I feel like, like I, my dad is less sensitive on that edge and he really hates her. Like he, he thinks like she's shrill, you know, if it's the nagging peg and, you know, and and you watch it and I mean, God, like you just feel so bad for her because she, it seems to me like to be a single mother almost. And yeah, yeah, there's just well, a lot. And she, she plays like she is an abused woman, like just the way he talks to her and like, she's, she's very meek because I think, and this goes, this is more in the book. Um, I think she's more, a little bit more fleshed out in the book, mm-hmm. but you know, obviously sometimes movies have limitations, but she is like, you know, I think she's conflicted about what to do. I think she plays that well of like trying to be a good wife, but wanting to stay with her son and like trying to protect her son because I think, I, I think this is in the movie. I, I don't know why I can't remember. Like he breaks Danny's arm yeah. by accident yeah. and. I think she's scared for her son, but I think back then also, like, I don't think women had much of a choice. I mean, I know it's like this, it's not like the 50s, but still, I think, like, there was a fear. And I think she captures that fear of, like, is it better to stay? Is it better to go? What do I do? Like, maybe this will make our marriage better. And I just don't think it's fair to ever make fun of her because I think she captures that fear of being a trapped housewife very well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you you could tell that she loves him, and it's not yeah. it's not reciprocated at all. I mean, the scene that you know when she goes in, um, and he's like, "We're gonna make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, whether the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. How do you think you can handle that?" Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? Okay. You know, click clack typing away, and he just kind of like unleashes on her. God, like it still yep. makes me uncomfortable and like heartbroken every time. And I don't know. I, I think she's the one person that seems in that relationship to be trying or like giving a fuck. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's a lot more commendable than I think anyone gives her credit for. And I mean, I can't speak for, you know, anyone in 
abusive relationships, like how, you know, fearful it might be. But I feel like just through like her eyes are super expressive. And yeah, I mean, I, I think she's phenomenal. I mean, yes, I agree. See, my, I guess my, I guess my problem is that I don't think Kubrick understood the book. I don't think he understood what was going on. Cause I was reading again in some of the interviews where he's basically talking about, well, nothing's changed from the book. He's like, it still follows the same plot. And, and he talks about stripping away like some of the, the, the past stuff that with, with Jack and his father that I think is very significant to Jack's character. He yeah. talks about stripping away all of, all of the characters pretty much to just what they are in, in the movie. And I feel like if you, I, I feel like it falls into the same trap I have with a lot of Stephen King adaptations where if you're just following the story by, by its plot, you're missing a whole lot of what makes King to me interesting. And the, I guess the, my other, my other complaint we, we kind of talked about a little bit is that Jack arrives at the, at the, at the hotel, like prepared for murder. Like he is, <sighs> He is, he's an asshole from the very beginning. He's, he's obviously has contempt for the people that he's going to be working for. You can kind of get that with, with his like interview. He doesn't like his, his wife. He doesn't like his son in, in the drive up to, from the hotel to the hotel. It's like just barely conceived irritation and, and like, yeah, I mean, diff, diffidence to him. Like, and, and that's not. That's not the Jack from the book. The Jack from the book is like trying so hard, like a lot of Stephen King characters that deal with alcoholism, trying so hard to be a good a good father, and then he eventually gives into the to the dark side. And here he's ready from day one to pretty much kill everybody. Yeah, I mean, I I I totally get that. I mean, for me, like I read the book. Um, God, I think I was in like fifth or sixth grade. Um, and I really do love it. I mean, it doesn't. T- it takes place way before you know, the overlook and even the the initial interview. And like the way I sort of, I guess, interpret or like digest it is that, you know, once Wendy Carlos's score kicks in, it's sort of like this, um, you know, sonic cue of like, uh, whatever forces at the overlook sort of has Jack. It's leading him there. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, you know, like he's already, yeah. he's already falling into that trap as the, uh, possessed or, you know, caretaker. And, you know, I, I'd like to think, I guess, uh, that, you know, they're the, the behind the scenes, you know, of their marriage before is him trying because, you know, uh, in the book, he's, I guess, remorseful over breaking Danny's arm. And, you know, it's, to me, it's like, I get, he's full on Jack, you know, or he's full on Jack Nicholson. And it's something that I, I, I love about, I've grown to love even more about it because it's just to me, it, the, the the overlook has a hold of him at, right mm-hmm. right from the start and i mean yeah and i think that's why i love the score so much is because like they go hand in hand to like you know like the possession of jack is the score and yeah you know they're like synonymous and like i think they're both they work they're like you know haunting fingers over his entire presence yeah and i feel like terry i know what you're talking about because i know like that definitely reading the book after seeing the movie was like very helpful and kind of understanding and having more empathy for Jack, like for, for um his character. But I liked the movie 
like how they characterized him there because it feels like it's more dreadful. I think this movie is like dripping with dread. Like oh, everything yeah. is like you're waiting for something to happen. And I think especially with a score kicking in with the horns at the very beginning as they're going up that windy mountain road, it's like you already know who the monster – you kind of know who the monster is and you're just waiting for him to appear. And I kind of like that characterization for the movie versus – and like, I I liked the book a lot, but I think just like for the, the, the movie, I think it fit really well. But that's just my – I just want to see like a character art. Like he has <laughs> – he's one note to the, most of the movie. Like I, I wrote down in my notes, you know, 46 minutes in of a two-and-a-half-hour movie, he is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. And he, he's on that level pretty much the rest of the movie. And I just, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I love seeing, especially with, with villains that you spend a lot of time with. I love seeing some kind of trajectory. And I, I guess I, I never really see that in, in this, in this movie. Every single time I watch it, it just, I mean, it's yeah, like it's, it's not, a one note performance. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's uh, the, the character arc is not, it's not there. And I think that's sort of it. for any of the characters, really. Um, okay. I love Danny though. Danny Torrance, mystery solver, small boy, <laughs> and his cute sweater. I love him and I like his character arc quite a bit. I know that he's kind of stiff in acting, but I really like watching Danny at like from the lens of a child explore this hotel and realize something is very wrong, but not having the words to describe it and like figuring out how to use the shining and how to really like protect himself and his mom. I really enjoyed seeing him. But does he protect himself and his mom with shining? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think so. I mean, yeah, he's the one who I writes think... red rum. I mean, he's, he's sort of him and Tony, I guess, sort of work, you know, uh, hand in hand at sort of yeah. like bringing more of awareness. But I think that, sh- uh, Wendy has more of a character art than we give her credit for, because I mean, I yeah. think, I think she's like, there learns to sort of stop being submissive to him yeah. and sort of learns to sort of, you know, fight back because like this is a a guy who's unrelenting and he's not going to change. And I mean, that's sort of how it is with, I guess, most abusers. It's just, you know, yeah. it's, you got to fight for your life to get out and, you know, it's, yeah. But I think like, you know, the, the, the reason I love Dr. Sleep, I think so much to sort of navigate into you know, the its sequel is that I I do love Danny's, you know, older Danny's character arc. You know, how we like we, we, we were introduced to him as this like sort of Diana's luck alcoholic and you know, quickly he sort of you know, within like the hour he shifts to being sober for like eight or ten years and I I, I love that about it because it's it I mean, obviously, it's not the same Danny. I mean, you could look at it as, like, not the same Danny or, like, blah, blah, blah. But it, to me, the Mike Flanagan does such a great job at sort of tying the book and the movie together and keeping this essence of Danny alive. And I think that's why it hit me so well. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, also, I think Dr. Sleep, it, it uses the uh, woman from 237 incredibly well because, for me, watching that at such a young age and – you know, always envisioning her behind a random shower curtain. It's like, she's not in the movie anymore. She's in my bathroom and in right. Dr. Sleep, like he, she's not at the Overlook anymore. She's in my bathroom. And it's like, mm-hmm. I sort of felt like a relatable yeah. fear with Danny. And it was like, sort of like, you know, your, your, your trauma never stays put. Like it's always, yeah. it's always with you. And I like that, that hit me really well with Dr. Sleep and, I, th- I think it works as a great sequel. It's- I think 
<laughs> I think in some ways it's a better movie than The Shining because it actually gives its characters a career trajectory. Wow. Because like you just talked about Danny having an actual character arc and I just don't – it's true. I don't I – don't, again, I, don't, I just don't see it. We haven't talked about best character, <laughs> Scatman Crothers. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I love him. Well, and what did you give Dr. Sleep, Terry? What's what that? did you actually give? Because I know you, you don't have a single rating for Dr. Sleep. Uh, no, I don't. Um, you know, it's one of those, I, when I saw it in the theater, um, I was, I loved it up until the part where he tries to go into the, the movie, The Shining. <laughs> um, and at that point I was like, oh, I'm over this movie. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then I watched it. Uh, I watched the director's cut right after I watched uh, The Shining to prep and it, um, I think the director's cut is a really good film. Um, I, think, I think it's I, better. Oh, it's much better. It's, I mean, it doesn't, even for the three hour long runtime, I don't, I don't feel it. Yeah. Unlike the shining. Um, uh, uh, so. what was that? What was that? First off, <laughs> it's 144 minutes. Don't even. <laughs> Man, you got some people gunning for you. I know I do. I know I do. If it wasn't for this, it was for my, my thoughts on The Exorcist. So uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want know. to go there. Let's not. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I am. I. I think. I think. I think Doctor Sleep is a is a really good movie. And I like I said, I do think like I I purposefully wrote down good parts that I really liked about The Shining. Um. But all of it, most of it, has to do with the actual filmmaking involved. I think Kubrick is a great filmmaker in terms of like. The way he stages shots, the way um, the, the filming takes place. And the, there's two scenes that I really did enjoy this time. And the first was when Jack looks at the model of the hedge maze. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, yeah. And in the model, and this first time I noticed it, that there is, even in the model, there's a little character that's wearing Wendy's um, coat so that like it looks like she's actually in the model of the hedge maze. And it's, it's a it's a beautifully shot film, and then the other scene that I really liked was the drinking scene, where he's talking with the bartender Lloyd, and it's framed like a confessional, like it's two parts of his brain having a conversation, and Lloyd doesn't exist; he's just sort of like a cipher that Jack is able to throw his ideas off of, and you can kind of see his real true thoughts, like when he's like talking about how the little fucker threw my papers on the floor. Mm-hmm. I never laid a hand on him, goddammit. I didn't. I wouldn't touch one hair on his goddamn little head. I love the little son of a bitch. (laughs) I'd do anything for him. Any fucking thing for him. But that bitch. As long as I live... She'll never let me forget what happened. And he's like, he calls Wendy a sperm bank. Like, gross. <laughs> there's just, there's just like, you, you see him for the first time. And it's like this, this part that's not over the top. It's not like filled with like this kind of twirling mustache villain. It's like this very real portrayal of this horrible human being who has been basically keeping a mask on this entire time mm. and the overlook has taken it off. And that was a scene that like this particular, this particular time really stuck with me. Yeah. I mean, I think like that scene I really love because it shows his resentment towards both Wendy and Danny mm-hmm. and how like sort of 
they them being in his life sort of you know he blames them for whatever failures he has for everything yeah. and I, I love the lot white man's burden <laughs> i mean i love this i love the line that he gives uh lloyd i like you lloyd i always like you you were always the best of them best goddamn bartender from timbuktu to portland maine or portland oregon for that matter where he's like you're the best bartender from uh from here to timbuktu and so i like i always viewed lloyd as like you know a, a bartender he's met before you know down down his yeah. line drinking and like that's you know maybe it's his favorite bartender from some club he was at or some you know lounge who knows but i always viewed it as like it's an extension of his past now coming forward in his present to sort of destroy mm-hmm. the future lives of the people he loves and it's like i love sort of like that connective tissue of you know as it and which i think is why you know kubrick may not have to people who like you are diehard you know stephen king's the shining fans and i love the book but i think kubrick understood something about past present and future within the characters he's creating and without trying to say or show like as much because i think if he did show flashbacks or all that the movie which is already nearly two and a half hours it would just kind of be bogged down and i do love like you know we're we fly in you know to these mountains and we're sort of just like it never stops like the score is sort of it never stops like everything is very it's got this momentum and it's sort of why the two and a half hours fly just like uh, in a way, Dr. Sleep also flies. I think Dr. Sleep is a lot more felt uh, time wise, which in, 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 in many ways I love because you feel this like life that has been lived and is sort of trying to be saved. And plus, I mean, Rebecca Ferguson, <laughs> like biggest screen crush, but can we talk about a scene that, scarred me as a child and i never really understood what was happening the scene where the bear is like (laughs) giving a blowjob to the bartender i think Uh, or someone it's like one of the characters yeah when i first saw this movie i was pretty young i don't remember exactly what age i was but i was pretty young and i was like what's happening and my dad said don't worry about it and i was like what (laughs) And it's stuck in my head for so long. So I was like, what the fuck were they doing? Like, what is this creepy ass bear doing? And after that was like the scene that stuck out in my head for so long about like, I like couldn't comprehend what was happening. <laughs> well, yeah, it comes out. It comes out of nowhere. She's just like running yeah. scared and it's the camera's like focused on her and then it just pivots. Into this room. And it's kind of unexplainable. Yeah, I feel like it is unexplainable. Like, you can, like, you know, you can say what you think is happening, but there really isn't an explanation. Like, you can assume it's probably sexual in nature, but, like, there is no, like, confirmed what the fuck is happening. Yeah. But, like... And the thing that I noticed this time watching it was that his, his, he has his, like, there's, like, an opening in the back. Like, his butt is firmly out in display. I never realized that before. No. Like, asshole shops. And it's, like, <laughs> the creepiest mm-hmm. bear mask. And it was just, like, something that stuck in my head for so long as a kid of just being, like, what? What's happening? <laughs> so, yeah, that's fun. That was a fun scene. Like, very brief. I know not very central to the film, but, like, I feel like an iconic scene nonetheless. Oh, and yeah. And The Shining, like, that weird-ass moment. Yeah, I mean, I have to think, you know, that it's connected to sort of her uh, 
I don't know, their sexless marriage, you know, her, her yearning for some intimacy and I, why it's a dog or a bear costume, I do not know. Yeah, I, I had perceived it as like a weird projection from the hotel of like the weird bacchanalias that like occurred in the hotel mm. and like they're all kind of coming to the surface. But that's an interesting way to think about it too, though. Like with her, like her, it's like a projection of her subconscious rather than like the hotel like coming, coming to life in a very interesting way. Yeah, I mean, because, you know, Jack sees a naked woman in 237, yeah. which sort of, I guess, represents like his. I don't know, marital cracks or maybe his lusts. And then she sees a, a man with his ass exposed giving a head to. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's part of there's part. There's a lot of this movie that like I haven't really peeled back. Um, yeah, well, there's a lot to peel back. Yeah, Terry, there's a lot to peel back. <laughs> it has layers like a stinky onion. Hey. Wow. <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um. Yeah, so I mean, so okay, so when you first saw this though, since you apparently seen it ten times, which not gonna lie is a little weird, I guess, because you hate. Oh my it. god, Greg's coming for your neck, Terry. You know, it's exposed. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, when, when you first saw this, was it like what two star movie, one star? Um, I mean, I was a kid. I didn't quite understand it. Uh, okay, how old were you? I just knew that there was no like to- topiary animals in it that were coming <laughs> to attack people, and then I was I was pissed that the cook Halloran gets killed so it probably was a low score i don't really remember because I, I i i know i've I, I, I honestly have no recollection of when i saw this except that i did see it when i was a kid and i saw it after i read the book i don't know i guess i've tried to like approach it throughout the last almost 40 years of my mm-hmm. life and like i don't know i just yeah i i don't know i don't know <laughs> i just hope that maybe i'm, I'm missing something because everyone loves it i mean and an amazing movie i love that everyone loves it I, I am missing it's an amazing movie. You're absolutely I mean, have right. Have you seen the uh, the miniseries? <laughs> oh, so, uh, yeah. Okay. I, I have not seen. I have not seen the miniseries. Oh, it's terrible. Uh, uh, I mean, <laughs> but I don't. I don't think. I don't think anything that Stephen King. I don't think anything that Stephen King adapts. I don't think he understands what's good about his stories either. Like the original Pet Cemetery, terrible. Um, <laughs> All right, that's quite a. T- <laughs> wow. Do you have a shovel with you? I mean, if you want to go for the uh, the the newer one, by all means. No, that one's oh, great, Terry. That's a four star movie, right there. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm you know I, I won't even meet you halfway. I'm at two. <laughs> but um. So I liked the the new Pet Cemetery, but I also really liked the old Pet Cemetery. So I love both of them. I like the Mary Lambert one. Uh. I think there's like I think I think it looks really beautiful. I love the look of it, and I think the scene where uh, Gage gets hit is like one of the most like heart rendering scenes. But it's it's I don't know that that is like a comfortably three star movie. But I could not stand the newer one, and I was really looking forward to it. And I think the the scene that broke me with that was when the daughter now back from the dead. Who I guess they call Elephant is like her cute little nickname. I think she said yeah. she says something you know along the lines of like in the flesh, and they just made her too evil, like way too like. I, she had like it almost felt like she had one liners, and I couldn't, I couldn't, mm. I couldn't, I couldn't get into it. Valid, but you know, valid. I get it. I mean, I do. I, I know I, not a lot of people liked it. I enjoyed it. I had a great time. I mean, I appreciate that it's different. I think it's hilarious. Oh. <laughs> I think the book is hilarious. Really? Uh, 
I think the book is a dark comedy, and I really got that when I reread it before I saw the movie last year. Uh, I think it's a dark comedy. I read it before I saw it last year, and I did not get that vibe. But okay, I think it's I think it's a dark comedy about this disintegration of of how how much a white heterosexual uh, couple couple tries to keep their family together even knowing when they they obviously can't and i think it's absolutely hilarious the scene in the book oh my where God. he's digging up his kid is what? was so funny listening to uh your sick michael c hall michael c hall did the audiobook yeah listening to him to talk about it i was cackling in my car because it's just it's 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 a it's a it's a comedy. It's a farce. It is it's ridiculous the lengths that they will go to to try to keep this nuclear family together. Huh. So so are you past camp? It's a it's a straight farce. Um, I think I think it's a satire. I don't I think, think it's a dark it, yeah. comedy. Um, huh? Yeah, and that's saying. kind of how I viewed the movie. I think the movie is is really darkly funny. Um, Interesting. Yeah, I think huh. Dale. I think Dale Midcalf who plays. Uh, Lewis Creed. I think I think he has elements of I mean camp it's maybe unintentional but there are moments where yeah I think it's funny but damn dark comedy. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. You're, you're... That, that book really fucked me up so <laughs> I, I was, it fucked I, me up as a kid when I read it. Yeah, it terrified I read it me. last year. Um and I was was watching I've listened listening to it and was like very upset by it. So interesting. <laughs> I mean, Pet Cemetery has always been that sort of uh, like the pinnacle of why I don't enjoy some Stephen King, and like I do, I like Pet Cemetery the book, but I think it's the way Stephen King writes uh, little kids. Like he, it, to me, they they come off sounding way too intelligent for their own good, and mm. I I don't know, it sort of detaches me from the reality. And I know that sounds maybe laughable because it's very much horror fantasy but i don't know it's especially like the little girl in pet cemetery it's uh, i don't know she says it just sounds way too smart you've never met some really smart kids and they're scary as shit (laughs) (laughs) probably (laughs) i know some really smart kids that are scary that are like smart i feel like they're smarter than me and i'm like "Uh uh-oh you're one of those horror movie kids aren't you (laughs) like oh village of the damned yeah um wow so that was a conversation yeah that was a conversation there's so much to talk about with the shining i mean it's such an iconic movie and i think it It is it definitely just like i get shaped me a lot as a horror fan and really informed a lot of things i like about horror or like things i didn't know about horror i think um as a kid so i'm definitely pro the shining yeah terry one day the shining will shape you it'll just get its hand all over (laughs) you and it'll just mold you (laughs) <laughs> like the mold on the lady in 237 yeah. it'll just like mm-hmm. cling to me and oh yeah 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 um all right so do we want to move into our final thoughts and ratings about the shining yes okay terry what do you rate this out of uh forevers and evers and evers forevers and evers i rate it one no i'm kidding I rate it a, I, i'm kidding i'm kidding i rated a three <sighs> okay maybe three and a half if i'm feeling Feeling generous, you're feeling spicy. Attacked. Yeah, I feel very attacked. <laughs> no, um, you, you know, it's it's. I, I think it's one of those movies that's it's impossible to ignore. Um, I think it has made its its mark in horror history. I think that 
it's a very well shot film. I think the score is impeccable. I think it is, it's, it's iconic. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah. Um, it just, the characters don't really do it for me. So, okay. yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, it's one of those again. And I, that's probably why my, my score flips a lot because it, it probably depends on how I'm viewing it at the time, whether I'm just like yeah. en, enraptured with the way it's filmed. Cause it, you were right, Greg, it, it is, it's unrelenting when it starts and it just, the soundtrack is constantly there and it just pulls you along. And I think that once, if I let it do that, I'm okay. But if I'm ever trying to like think about it, I immediately get pulled out because I don't care for any of the characters or what happens to them. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get Damn. that. I mean, that's that's make or break a film sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's me. What about you, Mary Beth? Getting it at five. Save this conversation. Five, five out of five. All right. Um, that's a lot of forevers and evers. <laughs> it's a lot of forevers and evers because I love this movie forever and ever. I Like I just said, it has shaped me as a horror fan, and I just think it's so iconic and it's – imagery and in its performances and it has solidified itself into like the collective like pop culture consciousness and absolutely i also just i think it handles i mean i can handle things better like i know this but i just really like the way it handles wendy's character and i want shelly duvall to get all the credit forever and ever and stop getting shit on and I, think, I agree with you there, 100%. Yeah. And like Stephen King, I think Stephen King has problems writing women. I have a lot of issues with the way he writes women. And I know Stanley Kubrick is not a great person. But I think this is an interesting, complex female character that should get more credit. Um, so yeah, those are my final thoughts. So Greg, you have the final word. Oh, wow. Tell us your rating and tell us your final thoughts. No pressure. Um, five. <laughs> five, obviously. I mean... What? I thought you were a one. <laughs> Please, Terry. In your dreams. <laughs> um, I mean, for me, it's, you know, it, it started at an early age. Um, I, I, it's, it's kind of funny because when people talk about, you know, what movie would you love to sort of see again for the first time, mm. I would love to see The Shining again for the first time oh. at, at my age. I mean, obviously, I would have a caveat of if I didn't like how it resonated with me, could I go back to how, <laughs> I, how I saw it when I was seven? Um, because I would love to see how I sort of internalize it now. But it's... To me, it's it came out in 1980, and to me, it represents sort of like the last breath of like 60s, 70s. To me, like epic horrors, because I I view okay. I view Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby. I view those to me as epic. Like there's this weight and momentum to them that sort of it's very it's very cultural and it's very like, of its time. And the thing I love about The Shining is sort of it feels supernatural it, it, it takes place in the overlook which is you know it's almost like time stands still you know like the four months that they're there is you know it could be a year felt and i just love like the, the decor just everything about it doesn't say late 70s in a way you know like the 237 definitely does but i don't know I, to me it's like the dying breath but also to me it ushers in what i love about the 80s which is like you know the copious amounts of slashers and just the the fun it has with the genre because mm-hmm. i do think that a lot of horror previously not all but a lot is like very very heavy and it's very serious it's very socio socio inclined and like you know i but i it's the perfect movie for me and it's like one movie that whenever i go back and watch it it's it it makes me think like forget that i have a phone 
you know, for two and a half hours and I'm always glued to it. And uh, it's, it's, I mean, I think there are a handful of movies where I could watch them anytime, any place and be glued to it and never tire of it. Like if if we were talking action movies, I'd be talking speed, but horror movies, it's like the shining it's, you know, anytime, anywhere. And that's the final word on The Shining. Mic drop. Mic drop. <laughs> All right. So thank you so much, Greg, for joining us to talk about The Shining. Uh, where can our listeners find you? And do you have anything coming up that you'd like to plug? Um, yeah, people can find me at Daily Grindhouse, where I have a column right now where I celebrate horror films having their 40th anniversary. Uh, cool. So, so I have something coming up in a few days for uh, Don't Go in the Basement, which... Cool. Um, I'm excited to watch because uh, I actually have not seen it. I've owned the VHS for a while, and I know the score is supposed to be fantastic. I think Waxworks put it out a couple months ago. I have, oh shit! I do have a column for Talk Film Society, which I haven't, and got like I apologize to them, but I haven't touched it since August. And it's called Best of the Best, which I take a director and I highlight what I think is their best film. Um, And I really do love that. Um, But then with this whole quarantine going on, I am sort of trying to get back into writing for myself a little bit. So I took to fleshing out all the Hitchcock films I haven't seen. And so I'm I'm just going to sort of, you know, do maybe five, 600 words on each film, but it's good to have sort of that, that project that is on my own blog, which is just a WordPress and people can find it uh, real brew. Uh, yeah. Cool. And those are your, and what's your, what are your social handles if people want to find you on Twitter? Uh, Real Brew, R-E-E-L-B-R-E-W. Um, yeah, I'm pretty, I mean, mostly Twitter. I kind of love the community that we, cool. that we all gather around, but yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, but uh, thank you so much for having me, you guys. Of course. So listeners, you've heard from us, but now we want to hear from you. What was your experience with The Shining? Was it like me and Greg or was it like Terry? Sound off. Um, sound off on Twitter. You can follow us at Scarred for Life Podcast, Scarred Podcast, um, to let us know, or you can send us an email at Scarred for Life Podcast at gmail.com. You can also follow Terry and me on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. Like I said, make sure to follow us on Twitter and keep the conversation going. And don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Steve Bartle for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our badass intro. Um, thank you, everyone. Stay safe out there. But more importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. 
So we're going to explore how to do it right. And we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.